0: If you are ready to change the way people experience the transition to parenthood, you've come to the right place. On this podcast, we interview postpartum professionals, academics and researchers, as well as parents with unique perspectives on postpartum. Whether you've been working with new families for decades or are brand new to postpartum care, we'd love you to join us. I'm your host, Julia Jones. Hello and welcome to the Newborn Mothers Podcast. Today I'm speaking to Meg who is, I'll let you explain what you do yourself Meg, but I'm really excited to be talking to you today because I've been thinking for a long time really for the last year or two about what it means to be a parent and specifically a mother in the age of climate change Um, because it is, you know, in many ways quite a scary time to be alive when you're thinking about the future for your children. It's um, it's big. There's a lot to consider. And a lot of mothers really want to create a better world for their children. And, and Meg, I've invited you on because I want to find that balance between creating a better world and and activating our ourselves as leaders because I think mothers are natural leaders in, in society, in a society that works at least. Um, and, and how do we do that in, in my culture? without burning out without sacrificing our own needs so meg do you want to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do
1: yeah sure thanks julie i'm so happy to be having this conversation it feels really important this week and all weeks but um yeah just the timing feels really resonant so thank you um basically i'm an educator i'm a coach i'm a yoga teacher but i also come with 15 years of experience in two master's degrees in social change and humanitarian aid and development work. And so my focus right now is I'm the founder of an online school called the School for Sacred Social Leaders. And it's really about activating everyday change makers um, to create social change from the inside out. And what I'm really passionate about teaching is that for so long, we've been taught that social change is a is a natural um, extension of our actions, and I'm kind of here to to share that social change is the natural byproduct of our own empowerment, and so particularly my work with mothers centers on how do we use this energy and this identity shift that we find ourselves within and that fierce mama energy and the strength and um, advocacy that comes through with that rebirth um, in order to activate us into the the social change leaders and see ourselves as the social change leaders we've always been. And I think that mothers um, are the most important piece of this picture, and I say that with no pressure and no expectation, but simply that um, social change takes time. And it's going to be many, many generations, hopefully beyond us, that we see the effects of the actions that we take now. And so mothers with our one foot in the next generation and one foot here, we have this tremendous opportunity to do the internal empowerment and healing work required that allows us to literally be the change and our kids see and watch that as well.
0: Yeah, I love that, Meg. That just gives me goosebumps. You know, one of the first things that comes to mind when you talk about that, there are many, but one of them is one of my other favourite podcasts for anyone listening at home. It's called Pretty for an Aboriginal and it's by a couple of absolutely awesome, kick-ass Aboriginal women talking about what it means to be Aboriginal. And they interviewed, and I don't remember his name, unfortunately, but do go and listen to the podcast. They're all great. But they did interview someone who was a black activist from the u.s and he was talking about hope and how because african americans were slaves for 400 years there was actually many many generations of people who were working hard um as activists to abolish slavery and they never saw the result of their work Mm
1: -hmm. and he was
0: saying we actually have to think bigger and um, and longer term than just our own lifetimes and sometimes even longer term than the lifetimes of our children when we're talking about really changing society and really making a big difference. And and like you mentioned, I think mothers are perfectly placed for that work um, and it is going to be a lot of work. I don't think anyone in the climate space would say that that this is going to be easy. Um, it's going to take a long time. And and I think, yeah, mothers are perfect to do that. And also, one more thing I'll add is that for hundreds of thousands of years, humans lived in matrilineal earth-centric societies. Um, So actually, I think reviving those ways of living where mothers are natural leaders in their own communities is probably going to be one of the keys um, to the social change that's required to create Um, more respect for the environment and and more
1: respect for social justice and all of those kind of things. I totally agree I just couldn't agree more with um, you know the fact that I, I think what we have to understand is that right now where we sit in time is there is a massive shift in consciousness happening at the same time as a universal systemic breakdown happening and so what we need to understand is that it's not all on our shoulders. We are part of an evolution that's happening naturally. And when we can align with that, um, then we can not only find that hope, but we can also find practices to transmute the grief and the suffering that comes along with transitions and with challenge. Um, And so I think that the uh, when i think about systems and systemic change which is where we're all kind of oriented towards it's just a train coming past i live right next to a train line um we can't hear it at all oh cool all right (laughs) so system change has to come from individual change, you know. We understand that, yes, political change is important, yes, policy change can create an enabling environment, but when it comes to a regenerative culture, a culture that is deeply connected to earth, ourselves and each other, then fundamentally, that has to come from an individual awakening and an individual shift and an individual dismantling of the systems that oppress, and so mothers, in this opportunity to completely lose ourselves (laughs) through the process of that rebirth, have the opportunity to reclaim so much power and to come to the understanding that the reason we feel powerless to make social change is because we've been taught to feel that way, because a lot of people have vested interests in us remaining powerless to change social situations. So my thing is coming back to ourselves, where are these places within us even through our mothering journey where we're getting into paralysis or powerlessness or power under and we find these stuck places when we hit challenges or when our kids trigger us or whatever it is and each one of those opportunities that our life is giving us now in this moment is an opportunity to reclaim more power and if we think about intergenerational change like you and i are sitting here julia we are our ancestors wildest dreams and just to remember that moment of holy shit we're like talking over the internet here about things mm-hmm. that we love and we're raising families and doing this and we are our, our ancestors wildest dreams and so um that inner empowerment piece is really what creates burnout resilience because we're not focused on carrying everyone else we're not even focused on making our kids not suffer what we're focused on is I want to be the fullest most empowered version of myself and I want them to see that and feel that energetically as well
0: Yes, I'm like fist pumping here. I didn't want to interrupt, but I wanted to cheer and, and clap. <laughs> I completely agree. And my word of the month, I've spoken to this about this to quite a lot of people, so some of my listeners may know, but my word, sorry, of the year for 2020 for me is decolonization, which yeah. is exactly about dismantling those systems of oppression that are keeping not only indigenous people small, but actually colonises small as well as women and, you know, all sorts of people. I think everyone who lives in, in the same society as I do, it will be experiencing a lot of the hangover of colonisation. And as you were saying, there are so many vested interests that want to keep our voices small. Um, You know, and a lot of people say, like, how do I find my voice and it's so scary. And a lot of the time the things that are holding us back are so tiny, like I'm worried that someone won't like me or what if I'm too fat Mm -hmm. or um, I don't think I'm good enough for this for whatever reason. But, you know, all of those things are just stories that we've been told, you know, to make sure that we don't rock the boat, to make sure that we don't stand up and say this, is, this isn't this is right, you know. We can do much better. Um, so, you know, whenever people are worried about that I, and ask me, like, how do I get out of bed every morning and keep doing this work that's just so, um, you know, It's scary for me to be in the spotlight. It's, you know, I'm not that kind of personality that loves being on stage or anything, but I feel like, my voice is, is a gift to future generations and I'll get over all sorts of things like thinking that, um, you know, my hair's not right or something <laughs> just because I realise that those systems are there for a purpose and that, that exactly the thing that makes me think that is exactly the system that we need to dismantle. So, yes, decolonization I think, is the same kind of concepts that you're talking about, that personal transformation that leads to the bigger social transformation.
1: Oh, are you there? I am. It just dropped out just at the last bit you were saying. Sorry. That's okay. I can hear you now. Um, So what do
0: you think we can do? I guess there's two questions here. What do we, have you got any like actual practical tips? How can people step into this role and become activated as social leaders? And then I guess the second part of the question is without burning out without too much personal sacrifice.
1: Yeah. Well, I think the first um, way that I always start this process is to understand that as energetic beings, we are always causing an effect. So the very concept of we're not impactful, all we need to do is take a moment to bring our beautiful mindful awareness that we've all cultivated through this shifting consciousness to understand and to look for, all the ways that we are causing an effect every single day, whether that's through us consciously choosing to parent our children through a different paradigm other than than that which we were raised in, which was part of a colonised culture, whether that's how we're working within our household to reduce or minimise waste, whether it's through the conversation that we have with the person at the coffee shop who maybe doesn't feel connected and so that for them is regenerative culture and just to start looking for all the ways that we're already leading and that we're already showing up in support of the vision of the world that we want to see and I think obviously having been enculturated or or grown up in this system that always is looking for where we're lacking and broken and, and need fixing and us doing more. Having this embodied sense of I'm doing enough and this is enough and actually consciously parenting my kid is actually a really big deal and actually me doing that internal work and healing is a really, really big deal. We need to actually shift our perspective and our paradigm away from social changes, volunteering for something or giving my money to something or away to every single day in every single way... I am bringing the vision of the world that I want to see into fruition through the conversations, through my energy and through my intention. And I think a really good example of that is last week I was feeling, you know, a bit uh, in one of those places of fear and lack of clarity and, like, I was not in my faith of this is meaningful and important because particularly as mothers what we're doing is not valued and it doesn't feel meaningful and important and I went in to breastfeed my youngest um, at daycare because she's just started and I was giving her that transition time and as I'm sitting there and it's this beautiful time of the day in the centre, I've got, I got them in a cooperative centre and I'm on the board and it's a community there, you know. We are a community and we're supporting these, growing these kids up. And um, I was sitting there and, and it's that quiet time and all the kids were going into bed and the fan was on and the music was playing and I'm looking down at this pristine person that, that I've birthed and one of the educators came in to me and she said, and she sat next to me, and i 've known her because she 's had my other child and, and she's just it all came spilling out about her fears and her experiences and her trauma and um, and I just held space for her and listened to her and honored her and I came away from that discussion just being like, "How arrogant am I to think that this is not meaningful you know that that having the space to hold someone else's grief or pain or like having that moment of common humanity, but that is not the most meaningful, most pristine, most amazing, most present thing that we can do every single day. And how arrogant to assume that I know better than this thing that's moving through me wanting to be expressed in every single way in my parenting, in my work, in my relationships, in my community. And it's just like this process of getting out of our own way And understanding that we are powerful and we are impactful. And I think that really starts with, on a cognitive level, paying attention to where we are being impactful and having that faith that the intention will carry with it, the signal of that world that we want to see. You look at all the best leaders in history, Gandhi, like they all held that vision even when their 3D reality looked totally different. And for our kids, they need to see that we have that hope. They need to see us being the embodiment and holding that vision so clearly, even when the 3D reality looks scary AF, if that makes sense.
0: Are you listening to this awesome interview with a postpartum professional and thinking that this might be your calling in life too? Do you believe postpartum care could be a respected, valued and well-paid profession, but feel frustrated and don't know where to start? Newborn Mothers Collective is online worldwide postpartum training and professional development with over a 1,000 students from 40 different countries around the world. We value human rights, scientific evidence and diversity and we'd love you to join us at newbornmothers.com. Yeah, no, I love that. It really, it's exactly what you were talking about before with regenerative culture and I also think it really feels to me like what got us here is not what's going to get us there and being competitive and independent and combative and you know all of these things that we've been doing so far that's what got us here so to get us there to that big change it is going to have to be love and connection and listening and trust and you know it's it's going to be a different world that our children grow up in And ultimately what makes us human is exactly those small daily interactions and that's what makes life worth living as well. So you've kind of actually answered both questions by looking for those small moments. Um, It protects us from burnout
1: a bit too doesn't it by creating that kind of regenerative culture. Totally, like that we are not in it all, we're not, we're not all alone, we're not islands. You know, capitalism loves to talk to us as islands and talk to us as in our fear and it's a really radical thing. I love those words you said around trust and compassion and kindness and present, you know, these things, these qualities of a regenerative world. Actually, one of the most profound things we can do as women doing the decolonizing work is to change the way that we're relating to and talking to self. Knowing that our kids, uh, uh, their nervous systems are going to uh, register or cl- you know um, mm. clock that, and so when we talk about what I find creates the most burnout in social change spaces is that there's a disconnect between there's a lack of congruence between who we're being with ourselves and the image that we're projecting outward,
0: mm. and so
1: I think having worked in the spaces for fifteen years it was no longer an option for me because there was such a lack of congruence between what we were saying we wanted to do and then how we were doing it. So if your regenerative world looks like, and everyone has our own vision and in the school we work through it, but if your world is something like a world that's connected and loving and kind and your little tiny piece of that is how you express that through your soul-given gifts and expressions and experiences, then like how you relate to yourself has to be loving and kind and compassionate. Otherwise, there's lack of congruence. Otherwise, that's what creates burnout because suddenly we're attaching to an external validation to say I'm a change maker and this is good and this is important. But to change systems that are predicated on us not being enough, we have to do the radical thing of finding within ourselves a sense of enoughness and amplifying and expanding that as much as possible.
0: Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. And you know that inner voice. We would never talk to our children. We would never talk to our our friends in the way that we speak to ourselves. Um, and I often think that's actually what causes the b- burnout is the stories that we tell ourselves that you're a failure and this isn't working and you're not good enough and you're not enough and, you know, you're deficient or you're taking up too much space. These stories that we tell ourselves are
1: ultimately, I think, what causes the burnout, not necessarily the work. It's I agree. Like, yeah. Or um, even more, with even more clarity, the, the running away from those stories in case they're true, you know, and so we attach to projecting outward, the career or the perfect mother or the thing Mm -hmm. as a a distraction away from those feelings being present. And I think that, you know, I always talk about motherhood being the perfect storm of empty space syndrome, suddenly, Mm -hmm. all of those things catch up, and we can't run away. And we're in this emotional shit show, you know, but it kind of ties to this next that came through as you were talking and thank you so much around being a parent in these times and being able to transmute grief is a really important part and I think that all our work as conscious parents turning that and reorienting that back to the self around holding space for our own grief our own fear our own big feelings around these transitions that are happening which is why the spaces that you're creating and others are creating are so important where we're supported and held to just be in the full expression of the grief and the sorrow and the fear. And that's really part of it because, as we all know, in that motherhood journey, if we don't have the courage to allow that to catch up with us in a way, we can never turn that from a void or a wound into a resource And it will constantly remain perpetually running away from it. And if you take that up to the macro level, we see a culture that is obsessed with distraction and running away from and projecting identities outwards and doing it in such an unsustainable way which if you boil down to the root is we don't have the tools to sit with our trauma and our pain yet. <laughs> and that's yeah. part of the awakening too.
0: Yes, I love that. And it's sort of like an individual playing out of consumerism, isn't it, that idea that we always totally. need new things. And, you know, even a lot of people who think that they're not as consumerist as other people in our society, still for a lot of us there's a lot of work in that area of that feeling like we're not enough just as we are. Um, and that we want to avoid dealing with all of these big emotions by, you know, the next distraction or the next status or the
1: next, yeah, whatever it is. And what would a world look like where each of us took responsibility for our own consumption, instead of waiting for a father figure to come along and save us, whether each of us were like, I'm, I'm going to get empowered around this, I'm going to look at where in my life I'm going numb or paralyzed or powerless and and how that is driving my consumerism and just be the embodiment so allowing others to watch that. You know, it's not about, I think, the new wave of activism is not about preaching or shaming or um, another thing that I see a lot is like being righteous, that my way is better and my way of eating is better and my way of consuming is better. It's not about that. It's about taking the individual responsibility and allowing others to watch in a loving way.
0: Yeah, I love that. One thing I've become really obsessed with over the years is growing my own food to the point that we've actually started an urban farm in my local suburb. (laughs) So we've turned a bowling green, an old bowling green, into literally a farm Um, And we go down every week and, you know, do some planting and do some picking. And it's not individual plots for individual people. It's a whole co-owned farm with 200 members and we can afford to pay a farmer three days a week to actually um, coordinate all the volunteer effort. Anyway, part of that feels to me on a very, very basic level, looking at what my needs really are. And needs are very simple, you know, like really there's the needs for food and shelter and water and love and those sort of things and then taking responsibility for those needs in a very local, community-driven way. And for me, that's taken a lot of my need to, to, to well, my wants, I guess, my distractions and um, thinking that I need, you know, big, expensive holidays or fancy clothes and you know all of that kind of stuff I feel like it's really getting down to the most human
1: level I love it too because what you're demonstrating is something that I'm really passionate about which is that we're so let, let our social visions be as multifaceted in their expression as we are you know that that I think <laughs> the, the capitalist version of, I'm running a business training at the moment and we're really challenging some of these ideals around That our business is here to save us and be the one thing that we do forever and ever. And it's it's like when we're so multifaceted, how can our Mm -hmm. social vision not be expressed through lots of different ways? And I think there's all these different levels where we can determine what our sphere of influence is. And I think it's really worth saying that our sphere of influence is simultaneously smaller than we imagine because... We're not all got um, 10 million followers on Instagram. So it's smaller, but the depth is so much more potent than what we ever mm-hmm. can imagine. And mm-hmm. so, again, it's challenging this idea of more is better, more action is better, more um, jobs is better, like more whatever, and just being like where is my sphere of influence right now in this moment and, and am I called to do it in my community or through my business or through my parenting or, and letting that be enough so that when we start to gain the confidence of like, hey, maybe I am creating this ripple um, from the inside out, then that's how it gets expanded in breadth. But it has to start on that really understanding the power that you have as an individual right now in this moment um, to shift people and to shift energy.
0: Yes, I love that. And you know, what immediately makes me think of is for, for women, we often get stuck in, well, at various stages of life, men and women both. But Women often get stuck in the feminine thinking we have to stay home, we have to look after our children, we have to be the sole carer and sacrifice everything for our kids. And then we think we don't have time for hobbies and work and volunteering and and fun and a social life and exercise and all of those things. But then for men that often plays out as um, thinking that work is the only thing, that's the masculine Drive They have a, a career that takes up fifty sixty seventy hours a week, and then they don't have time for family and and volunteering and you know health and whatever else but in fact, all people are multifaceted all people need feminine and masculine aspects to their lives um, yeah, and all people need need to do. Lots of different things in lots of different ways, you know, but it's a very convenient story, you know, this idea of a nuclear family for making sure that women stay home and men work, and you know, that's all you do with your whole life.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: <laughs> or that if women do work, we have to do it in this masculine way, you know, where that's all we get to do, and we don't get to also be a mum. You know, it's like you have to choose rather than going, No, I, I actually am both.
1: Mm. And I'm all the things and, and also I'm everything, you know, but it's like, yeah, again, yeah, I really I'm think more, that, yeah, yeah <laughs> that, it's, that, it's, that it's the attachment to the thing that's going to be, the thing that's going to create the identity, that's going to create the validation for the things we feel we missed out on. And I certainly, when I went into motherhood, was like I'm going to be the, the mother, right? Like I'm going to just do this so well. And it was another attachment. That is comes from a place of lack. And mm. so when I really, and it's been a really big process this year of letting go of needing anything to save me from outside myself, um, you can enjoy the things and not second-guess yourself or not have to be the best or not have to, you know. And I think there's a really big part of this that's to say that I think as socially conscious mums, with kids going growing up in a in a climate insecure environment that we think we 're honoring them and honoring our ancestors by staying in fear and not allowing ourselves to expand into pleasure and for me it 's worthwhile reminding myself from time to time that if i 'm not here to wander um, in awe at the sunrise and to smell the roses literally and to dig my feet deep into the earth and to laugh with my kids and to experience life in its fullest most vivid expression then what the hell would I like be fighting for you know yeah, that, that the there's yeah. earth that you're not even enjoying and experiencing <laughs> and I and I think that we're kind of perpetuating our our disastrous future by focusing on what we've lost and what's not here. Mm. And again, it's coming back to what is here? How is she supporting me? How am I guided? How am I resourced? How am I connected? And realizing that again, in this moment, we have everything we need. And that um, focusing on that and amplifying that is going to bring more of that on an energetic level.
0: I think so and allow you to take the risks and things that are, that are required to actually reach the top of the mountain. You need a certain level of um, security and, you know, everyone's got different levels of privilege, but but for people who do actually have enough, you know, enough food and a house over there a roof over their heads and clean water you know if you actually have those basic needs met and you can enjoy the sunrise and you, you know you have freedom to to find peace and join your life when you really focus on those things that's almost like fuel that can um help you get to the next level without even actually trying because like you're saying you're not doing it out of fear anymore you're doing it out of out of energy i guess you know just that that feeling that you've got everything that you need that you are enough and then that propels you actually naturally to the next level
1: yeah and 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 those resources being available all the time and i think if we've grown up in a scarcity fueled environment the challenge as mothers is always going to be that we're going to tend toward martyrdom because it feels safer to be in insufficiency and resourcelessness than it does in being resourced and so Mm -hmm. having the courage to really be resourced and to feel the full like the fullest level of resourcing that's available to us right now just from the earth um that that's really profound Yes, it's like Marion Williams says, it's not our light, it's our darkness
0: that scares us the most. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sorry, it's not our darkness, it's our light that scares us the most. It's the potential that we could be everything that actually makes us play small, you know. Mm -hmm. That's a huge responsibility in a way. So, yeah, I like the way that then you bring it back
1: to just do what brings you joy as well because um, otherwise the weight can feel too heavy. (laughs) Totally. And our kids, like, they deserve a childhood. They deserve love they deserve the sunrises they deserve us to show them the flowers and the mm. you, you know that that's really profound they, they're they watching us what we do as you know mm-hmm.
0: thanks so much Meg do you have anything else you want to add and also I'd love to learn more about the school for social change
1: leaders and and where we can find out about you and your work thank you um I think the only thing that I just feel called cool to share for this community is um, really just wanting to see and acknowledge that because we care so much, because you care so much, that that to me is the most beautiful representation of unconditional love, you know, that that love is, can be expressed through our fear and worry and I think that I see it as love. I see it as unconditional love and I see the beauty of that um, and how we can also orient towards the love through loving as opposed to love through worrying, I think is what I feel really cool to share. Um, and, yeah, thank that. you. Yeah, love through loving. I think that's quite
0: profound. And um, a lot of the time I think we think we're loving when we're really
1: stuck in stress and fear and that sort of thing we can love without that you know the most one of the most um beautiful expressions of compassion that a a dear friend talked to me recently is i'm not afraid for you you know and that being so profound in my life in terms of my how I hold space in terms of with my kids when they're in their fullest emotional expression, you know. <laughs> I, I'm not afraid for you. And that, like carrying the intention of that, oh, like I think about a world like that and it looks so damn beautiful, no. you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, a similar thing I often remind myself is how strong my children are. Yeah. Sometimes in. My kind of earlier parenting years, I wanted to protect my children from every possible bad outcome that the world could throw at them. But that just put me into fear and kept me small, you know, and um, led me away from trust and collaboration and things. And then as my children have gotten older, I've consciously changed my mindset to my children are strong. And, and I think that's kind of thing. It, instead of I'm afraid for my children, I've changed it to my children are strong and I know that I trust that they can face what life holds for them and that's really opened up our whole world and my way of thinking about the future by by having that faith that
1: my children are strong people and and so profound in that the only way we can actually see them in that fullest, fullest strength-based, you know, approach. Is to be able to see it in ourselves too, yes. <laughs> and in the yes. humanity, and
0: to exactly, and to not find my identity in being their sole protector and provider. You know, I think sometimes we get. Uh, like you were saying we get we get too stuck in one identity don't we that actually my children need me they need me for everything when actually if we can kind of just take a little step back and, and feel more like a guardian um or a space holder or something like that for our strong brave independent you know children they're human beings they're fully formed humans um you know and so i see myself in quite a different role now because my identity isn't tied up with them needing me all the time
1: Mm, i really love that i'm gonna take that as my wisdom for the day (laughs) (laughs) oh and all your pearls we're
0: definitely gonna have to do this again meg that was a really great chat and for people who enjoyed it uh where can they find you we'll put some links up in the show notes thank you
1: yeah so my um i'm most mostly hang out on Instagram. So it's at Meg J Berryman and the school um, for sacred social leaders, the next couple of months, our focus is on, um, beyond burnout so it's really providing a framework to build back better after burnout not only for ourselves but for the planet because my personal philosophy is that burnout offers us a portal into individual and collective healing just like motherhood does Mm -hmm. and so um, there's going to be events in victoria and queensland and then an online program as well and there's lots of different courses in the school around business and um, self-empowerment and parenting. And so, yeah, you can find all of that at com.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much, Meg. Thanks, Julie. I loved it. Yes, me too. See you next time. Bye. Yeah. Here at Newborn Mothers, we believe that every family has the right to high-quality postpartum care. If you want to join us, learn more at newbornmothers.com. And if you like this podcast, we'd really love you to leave us a five-star review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.